this entire series kind of got its jumpstart with this one thought that's going to be this morning's topic. And really, I think this is probably the enemy's greatest or at least most effective tactics against God's people. And it may not be what you think it is, because I think a lot of times we feel like, well, the, the devil's attacking me and the devil just wants to destroy me and wants to take me out. And that is very, very true. But you know what else is true? Most of us in this room, it doesn't take that much. Most of us in this room, if the devil really wants to take you out, all he has to do is distract you. I want to talk to you this morning about distractions. So all eyes up here, pay attention, because we're going to talk about distractions. And listen, I'm going to be very transparent with you in the front. Everything that I'm going to talk about today, I've struggled with at one point or another. And so listen, there are going to be bullets flying. You are going to get hit. It's going to be you. Don't deny it. Don't shy away from it. Admit that, hey, this is your problem because we all at one point or another struggle with being distracted. Now, like some of us, I mean, clinically, you got ADHD. Not, I'm not blaming you. Some of us, we just never paid attention ever. And, and that's cool. But what I'm talking about is when we get distracted from our focus on the Lord. When God is drawing us to him and God is calling us into a deeper relationship with him, the enemy wants to do nothing more than to derail that relationship with a distraction. And I got five distractions that I just kind of narrowed down that I really believe we all can deal with and struggle with and we need the Lord's help with. But before I get into that, why don't you turn your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 25 through 27. If you don't have it, you can look at the Bible on the sky. And it says, let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the path of your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or the left. Keep your foot from evil. This is a great encouragement for us as believers. Keep your eyes straight moving forward. Listen, no runner, when they're running a race, should look to their left or to their right. It's an easy way to stumble and fall. Their eyes are fixed on the prize. Their eyes are fixed on the goal. They run with perseverance to reach the goal which Christ Jesus has laid out for them. And you and I need to make sure that we do that. The problem is we get distracted from time to time. I was thinking about this uh, when in my single years when I would have the boys come over and we'd play video games. I remember oftentimes we would be playing two versus two and I had a partner of mine, a, a buddy, and me and him had synergy, man. We'd play well together. But the problem was he was easily distracted. And I knew this about him. So when he would play on the other team, my strategy was easy. While we're playing, I just talked to him. I just be like, hey man, so how was your day? He's like, hi, oh, you know, I was kind of struggling. And he would just totally stop paying attention to the game. And everyone in the room would get mad. Stop talking to him. You know how he is. I'm like, I know how he is. That's why I'm winning right now. <laughs> See, I, I didn't have to be, he was better than me. I didn't have to be better than him. I just had to take him out of the game. Just had to get him to stop paying attention. And that's the truth. Listen, it's not about how strong you are, how spiritually mature you are. The truth is, if the enemy could just distract you from the game, if he could just get your eyes off the prize, if he could just get you to focus on something else, then he's got you because you are just as ineffective in that moment as if he had destroyed you. And so here are five different distractions that I think all of us at one point or another, maybe even today, are struggling with and that get us away from the Lord. And the first one is this. We are distracted by the love of money. 
distracted by the love of money. Now listen, I'm going to preface this. The Bible is clear, right? We're not saying that money in and of itself is evil, okay? I like money. I'd like to have more money. If you don't like your money, I'll take your money. Not a problem, okay? We're not talking about that. But here's where the distraction comes in. When our pursuit of financial gain becomes greater than our pursuit of spiritual growth, you're distracted. And we disguise this in a lot of different ways, especially the men in the room. Oh, the men in the room. You're real good at life. Pastor, I got to provide for my family. Your family's provided for it. They're, they got clothes. They got food. They, they don't need all the extra bells and whistles. They don't need all the 16 vacations a year. Like, who's taking 16 vacations? I don't know, but I'd like to know. I'll go on one of them with you. <laughs> but, but we got this like, no, you know, I just, I got I to gotta provide for my family. Well, you're working seven days a week. You don't even see your family. They're not even with you anymore. And so we get so fixated on trying to gain financially. And I get it. There's a lot of reasons. Listen, some of us, present company included, we grew up broke. So there's this mindset of, well, I don't want to struggle like, my, like I struggled as a kid, or I don't want to go through this. And, and so we got this kind of mental issue that goes with money and this inse- financial insecurity that causes us to try to strive for more and more and more. But the problem with the love of money is it's never satisfied. You never have enough. I mean, we talked about this a little bit on Wednesday, but truth be told, I mean, come on, we're in one of the wealthiest countries in the entire world. Even the brokest of us are better off than a good majority of the entire planet. We're in good situations financially for the most part. And I'm not trying to diminish your struggles. I'm not trying to say, well, I know some of us are working check to check. I get that. But I'm saying in the grand scheme and a global perspective, we're doing all right. But listen to what the Bible reminds us of in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9 through 10. It says, but people who long to be rich fall into the temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many arrows. It's the love of money that makes you want to cut corners and do things that maybe aren't as legal as they should be (laughs) or you think they are. It's the love of money that causes you to cheat on your taxes just to get a little extra bump in that. It's the love of money that prevents you from being generous and giving away the things that God has given to you. It's it's the love of money that often has your heart. There's this saying that says the, the wallet is the last frontier of the gospel. It's the last place that God can get a hold of. This is why we're often talking about generosity in the church. Because if you can freely give, then it doesn't have a hold on you. And so that's why we encourage our next generation. Right now, between our youth and our children, they're on pace to give almost $50,000 this year. And now why do we do that? So at a young age, they understand, listen, money does not control you. It is an asset. It is a tool that God has given to you to use for the glory of his kingdom. And when we can start to understand that, it loosens its grip on us. John D. Rockefeller, one of the titans of industry during the industrial age, uh, was the richest man on the planet at one point. And he was asked in an interview, Mr. Rockefeller, how much money is enough? And his response was, one more dollar. One more dollar, that's what's going to be enough. See, the truth is, you're never going to have enough money. And, and, and when you get your mind wrapped around that, maybe money stops getting itself wrapped around you. Okay? Again, I'm not, I'm not saying that money in and of itself is evil. A lot of people kind of twist the scripture a little bit and, and misquote it. No, no, no. Money in and of itself is not evil. But do you love 
money more than you love God? Are you pursuing financial gain and riches? And, and I mean, it's funny because a lot of, well, you know, it's, it's for my security. I got, I got to tell you, when you die, your money's going to other people. Your money's going to the bank, to the government, to your kids, to your grandkids who don't even remember you. Like your money's gone. You cannot take your money with you. As a matter of fact, I was, I'm on a board for a, a, a medical community. Uh, uh, we, we, it's a bunch of uh, clinics. And uh, we got an anonymous donation. And so we're like, how much is the donation? Somebody donated us $5 million. No strings attached, no follow-up. It was Jeff Bezos' ex-wife. And I'm like, well, she got, she got a lot of money. She got billions of dollars. So to her, five million, what is that? That's nothing. Why? Because in the grand scheme of things, it's all scaled up. It doesn't really matter. What matters is, what are you going to do with what's been given to you? As the scriptures say, what do we have that hasn't been given to us? And so when you learn to not allow money to distract you, then you learn to use it in a way that's more appropriate. See, the problem with the love of money, again, is that it's unquenchable. There will never be enough, and so you're constantly chasing your own tail, trying to pursue more and more of it. I'm warning you, be careful about pursuing financial gain more than you pursue spiritual gain. The second thing is this. Not only are we distracted oftentimes by money, but this, this is a given. We are distracted by social media and technology. Now, I don't want to be that like, oh, social media, damn, I just... I'm not that guy, I, I use those, I'm all about it. <laughs> but we can't lie about what the truth is right now. Let me just give you some stats that have come out in, in a number of different surveys, peer-reviewed stuff. The average person spends two hours and 27 minutes on social media every day. As a matter of fact, if you have an Apple phone, it actually tells you now what your screen time is. Most of you ignore that or block that, but it tells you now, and, and you look at it and you're like, oh yeah, this is a rough week this week. Okay, the average person spends two hours and 27 minutes on social media every day. The average American checks their mobile device 159 times a day. By the way, you know, it's kind of, don't ever use anybody else's phone because y'all in the bathroom checking it, y'all in all time, I don't, I, that, that, that's gross. All right. Users will spend four trillion hours on social media this year, all together. 46% of Americans say they watch more user-generated content on social media than they watch movies and television on streaming devices. Meaning you're spending more time watching somebody dance on TikTok or somebody give you a tutorial on YouTube than you even watch TV. That being said, Americans spend 36% more time watching TV than they spend visiting social media sites. And so the algorithm is smart. It tells you what to watch now. It tells you what you're interested in. It keeps pushing it in. 93% of marketers use Facebook for advertising. Why? Because they know that's where you are. And so they're going to hit at you every moment they have. And Americans spend 4.2 hours per day on mobile gaming. Solitaire and whatever other little apps and games that you buy. In other words... We get more screen time than God gets FaceTime, where we're constantly on. And again, I, I don't want to be one of those old fogies and, and just getting up. And it, by the way, this is not limited to young people. Because some of the older folks in the crowd are like, yeah, we need to get you. No, stop it. Because you all took over Facebook. That's why nobody's on Facebook no more. 
all the grandparents took Facebook over, like, now oh, we gotta switch to this one again. Social media is just a constant try to get away from the next generation. It's like, you ruined this one, now we went to this one. And so, don't tell me it's not that. And, you know, older people are using WhatsApp because they discovered it's free minutes. Everybody's calling back home using WhatsApp. I get it. We're all over social media. It's not limited to one demographic. This is all of us as a culture. So why is it important? Because listen, I get it. There's a lot of great benefits from social media, right? You, even speaking to grandparents, like you get to speak to your grandchildren across the world and you get to connect on a global scale. I understand that. But listen to what Ephesians warns us. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 through 17. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Opportunities are passing you by because your head is down. I remember one time I was in Belfast, uh, in Ireland, Belfast airport. I was traveling there with a buddy and, uh, I'm sitting down at the airport. Everyone's on their phones but me because I ain't got no minutes in Ireland. So I'm just like, just sitting there. And by the way, that's a weird feeling. <laughs> like, so I'm just sitting there, head up, and right in front of me, two movie stars pass by. And uh, I'm just like, whoa. And then nobody notices them. Nobody's talking to them because everyone's head is down. And I remember reading on social media that they had just gotten married. And so as they're passing by, just very, like as close as that is to me, as they're passing by, I make eye contact with the man and I say, hey, congratulations on your wedding. He's oh, cheers, mate. And she lights up like a Christmas tree and we exchange pleasantries. We're good friends now, you know, just kind of. <laughs> that moment, we're tight now, we're good. And, uh, and they carry out. And as they walk away, everybody in the airport is like, oh my gosh, is that so-and-so? Is that so-and-so? Everybody starts freaking out. But everybody missed their opportunity. Because everyone had their head down. And your boy, he had his head on a swivel looking for movie stars. I was ready for it. But listen, I, I'm a, can, we be, can we be real? Can we be genuine? Are you guys all right with this? I promise you that today... During this short time that we've been in service, several of you have been scrolling on social media. I promise you that many of you in this room have been checking your social media, have been aimlessly scrolling through TikTok, have been checking your fantasy to make sure that your lineup is set before 12 o'clock. Okay, listen. It's, it's a problem. And here's the thing. It's the same group of people that are like, well, I just don't hear the Lord speaking. Probably hard to hear him when you're that distracted. So you're in God's house, but you're not in God's house. You're in his room, but you're not in his presence. Because you're focused on something that's not even here. And here's the worst part about it. You're not even paying attention to what you're looking at. You're just kind of aimlessly. It's so robotic. It's so automatic that you're not even thinking about it. You just kind of pull your phone out and you're like, yeah, when he gets over the social media thing, I'll pay attention to the next idea. But all I'm saying is what if while you're scrolling aimlessly through nothing, the Lord has given you a very specific word, maybe through the worship, maybe through the sermon, even through the announcement, the Lord is trying to get your attention and you're too busy trying to find out if your player got benched on your fantasy league today. But I just don't hear the Lord anymore. Hard to hear him when you're not even paying attention. So, okay, that was hard. Right, let's try to get the next one. 
Okay, because that, that one makes sense. But listen, number three, if you're taking notes, not only are we distracted by the pursuit of money and distracted by social media, technology, but man, we can get easily distracted by even serving and being busy. Listen, being busy is not the same as being productive. Okay, I can run in place and be very busy and not go anywhere. Okay? Being busy is not the same as being productive. And I'll often tell people who say, well, I don't go to church on Sundays. This is what I hear. I don't go to church on Sundays. It's my only day off. So what, is this like work to you? Like coming to the Lord's house, getting the word from God, being encouraged, worshiping your creator, that's, that's work to you? That's, that's uncomfortable to you? Well, it's my only day off. Well, listen, stop worshiping God long enough. You get a lot more days off, I promise you. And then you'll suddenly be like, I need to go to church. I need to pray for a new job. Probably. Listen, church should be where we can be refilled. Not where we have to avoid so that we can lay on the couch aimlessly and not really get the rest that we need. Because you can rest your body. I promise you, your soul will still be weary. We say things like, well, I can't get involved in ministry because I'm too busy. Too busy, two and a half hours every day scrolling through, that's what the too busy is? No, no, I'm too busy. By the way, uh, this is important for us to understand. You're never too busy, you just got your priorities out of whack. That's the truth, we're not asking for a lot. God's not really, are you kidding me? God's not asking, when when you measure out the time that you have in a week, how much is actually going to the Lord? It's not that much. You spend more time eating, you spend more time sleeping, you spend more time at work than you do dedicated to the Lord. And so even when we're in staff, we were talking about like, well, are you, you know, we just had trunk or treat. Are you sure people are going to volunteer the next Saturday for serve day? That's a lot, pastor. I'm like, but that's what we're supposed to do. We're the church. We're supposed to serve. The point of the church is not for you to come here on Sunday, me to say something really rah-rah, like now go live a great life. No, it's go change lives. Go be transformative. Be the hands and feet of Jesus. By the way, remember what happened to the hands and feet of Jesus. They were pierced. Okay, this isn't easy, but it is amazingly rewarding. You hear things like, well, I I can't bring my kids to church. I can't bring them to Awana or to Excel because we're so busy with his travel ball and her ballet and da-da-da and da-da-da. Listen, church. When you make church optional for your kids, they will grow up to believe it's unnecessary. Well, I'm too busy. I don't have time for my devotions or to serve. That's never true. We all have the same amount of time in a day. How are you organizing and structuring that time? This is also true, though, for believers in the church. Because, listen, you can serve God and not grow in your relationship with him. Right? A lot of people have backslidden from the relationship with God and never stopped serving. Pastors have fallen away from the Lord and never left the pulpit. Okay? You can serve God and not know him. Because they assume that serving God means I love God. The truth is we love God and that's why we serve him. We don't serve God as a, as a proof of our love. We love God and because we love him, serving is a natural byproduct of that. But there's a lot of us who are fooled ourselves into thinking, well, I'm in the building five times a week. Who cares? I can go to the gym seven times a week and it won't do nothing to me if I don't actually work out. 
And we can show up just because I go to the United Center doesn't mean I'm on the Bulls. Like, you, you got to actually engage. You got to actually be involved. You got to actually pursue God. You cannot allow him to distract you with the idea that you're busy. And so that means you're productive. Listen, there's a great example in Luke chapter 10. Jesus shows up to his friend's house for dinner. And the Bible tells us in verse 38, as Jesus and his disciples were on the way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. I am convinced, by the way, that Martha is the oldest daughter. 100%. That's, that's firstborn energy right there. <laughs> Here's how I know. Listen, she came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me? To, this is so petty. Don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Grown adults <laughs> complaining to dad. <laughs> Here's Jesus' response. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better. And it will not be taken away from her. Church don't risk falling away from the Lord. Because you're serving him. And you don't actually love him. Listen we, we got to make sure we got to focus in. And by the way let us know as ministry leaders. If we got you serving more than we got you sitting. And, and you need time to take in. Absolutely let us know. We want to make sure that you're doing okay spiritually, but it has to have some communication. You got to make sure that you let us know. Otherwise, we assume you're doing okay. At the same time, recognize that your service for God is not the same as your love for God. And so love him first and service will naturally come on the back end of that. But if you think just because you're here means you'll get there, that's not the same thing. And the enemy is distracting you by thinking you're being effective when really you're just being busy. All right, we got two more, and I want to make sure I get through this in time. This next one, hard pill to swallow. They all really are. But not only are we distracted by being busy, we're distracted by money, and we're distracted by social media, but in my tenure, especially as a youth pastor, this is probably the number one distraction I ever witnessed. That is the quickest way to watch somebody walk away from the Lord, and that's relationships. Listen, it is crazy how many on fire Christians walk away from Jesus the moment they get into a relationship with an unbeliever or even a Christian who wasn't where they were spiritually right so they start dating in church and maybe it doesn't work out and now it's awkward maybe some lines are crossed and suddenly you don't feel comfortable at church anymore and and they don't feel comfortable at church and, and their friends side with you and your friends side with you and now you start causing some awkward division in church and listen we have to be very careful about the relationships we engage in especially those of you who are single in the room your love for God is truly tested when you fall in love with another person I love my wife dearly. You guys know this if you know me. I talk about her all the time. But she knows and I know that our priority, first and foremost, is Jesus and not each other. And the best way I can love my wife is by making sure that my relationship with God is on point. Because if my relationship with God is on point, then I'm going to treat her the way God wants me to treat her. If my relationship with God is on point, then I'm going to love my children the way God has called me to love my children. If my relationship with God is on point, then I'm going to be a brother to my brothers, and I'm going to love on my sisters, and I'm going to be everything that God has called me to be because I'm close enough to hear the call of God. 
But if my focus is all these relationships, my family, my romantic relationship, my children, if my focus is just loving them and then God is an afterthought, I'm actually doing them a disservice. Listen, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 through 15 says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? And what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? And what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? Now this is a tricky thing, so let me explain it to you. It's not saying that we isolate ourselves and we don't talk to people who don't know Jesus. Obviously, we, we are sent to reach them, so we have to have communication with them. But I've often said this, and I still believe it to this day. If the people closest to you are not close to God, then neither are you. Because you're where they are. They're not where you want to be. And so the goal is to make sure that, listen, I'm going to be as close. Let's just say, don't, it's not sacrilege, but let's just pretend this is the Lord, right? I want to be as close to the Lord as possible. Babe, can you help me out real quick? I know that's awkward. Just help me out real quick. So let's say Cicely and I were still dating, right? Come up here, my love. Now, now go over there for a second by the boxes. So if my pursuit was her, and I just want to love her, and I'm just, yeah, you are beautiful. I love you, baby. Right? See, she's easy to make blush. So like, my pursuit is her, but then I left God back there. I didn't focus on her anymore. And if her pursuit is me, come on, babe, follow me. Love me. And if her pursuit is me, then she left God over there. But if we both pursue God, right? hey, how you doing? You good, right? <laughs> now we can talk to each other. Now, you, what, are, what are we having for dinner later? You got any idea? We'll figure it out. I'm sorry. I'm being distracted. Okay. Thank you, my love. So if we both go, if we both make God our pursuit, then we find each other. And the same goes with the deeper relationships in your life. Again, I'm not saying don't have relationships with unbelievers at all, but I'm saying the deep relationship in life, the people you go to for advice, is it going to be godly advice? The people you go to when, when everything is falling apart, are they going to lead you to Jesus or are they going to lead you away from Jesus? The people that you engage in romantically, do they have a passionate, serious relationship with God where they will not cause you to compromise your relationship with God? Is the pursuit here at the center of God, or is he an afterthought that you walk by and you're like, well, I'll pick that up later? Because I've heard it all the time. Well, they believe in God. Who cares? The Bible says even the demons know there's a God and shudder at his name. It doesn't mean anything. Or they go to church. So what? It doesn't mean anything. Do they have a passionate, constant relationship with God? Do you have that? And if you both have that, you find each other. This is why I want to make sure my kids have that. So we can constantly have Jesus at the center of our relationship. Because when they get mad at me, and I absolutely get mad at them, it'll be Jesus that will always bring us back together. Because that is the core of who we are. Singles out there, listen to me. You want to find someone to spend your life with? Stay close to Jesus. If I'm close to Jesus and she's close to Jesus, then we'll be close to each other. Last thing, and then we'll get ready to wrap up. So we can be distracted by relationships. We can be distracted by money. We can be distracted by social media. We can be distracted by serving. And we can also be distracted by our problems. Now this one's difficult because the reality is we all have problems. We all have things that we're going through. And I don't want to minimize what you're going through. The problem though is you like to maximize what you're going through. 
You really like to inflate it. You really love to blow it up. You really like to make it the end all be all. And we have somehow, especially as a culture, taken on this victim mentality and almost wear it like a badge. Listen, I get that you have a reason, but you don't have an excuse when you have Jesus. And so you are not your depression and you are not your ADHD and you are not your past scars and you are not the abuse that you had and you are not the addiction that you carried and you are not the pain that you walked in. You're not any of those things. That's why the Bible says you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old is gone, the new has come. So we can no longer identify with our past pain and sin because that's not who I am. And so oftentimes when we're going through a problem, we magnify this problem and it becomes our only ever thought. It's the only thing we fixate on. It's the only thing we talk about. It's the only thing that's ever on our lips. If the devil can keep you focused on your problem, you'll forget all about your problem solver. Because all you're looking at is what you're going through. Listen, Matthew chapter 14. Jesus sends out his disciples on a boat over in the Sea of Galilee. At about 3 a.m., there's this storm going on. They're getting a little nervous. Trained fishermen, but they know because they're trained how tricky these waters can be. And all of a sudden, they look out in the distance, and there's a figure walking on the water. And naturally, they ain't never seen that. So they're thinking, this is some demon or ghost or something. But listen to what Matthew 14 says in verse 24. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land for a strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage, I am here. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, Come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. Pause right there. What did Peter do? What? Come on, CPS, help me out. What did Peter do? Peter walked on water. Listen, we always act like Jesus is the only one who's ever walked on water. And we always make those comments. Oh, you walk on water like Jesus? Not like Peter, only a little bit. Okay? Peter walked on water. This is a fact. This is actual. He didn't kind of almost. No, he did it. Peter began to walk on water. This is important. This is huge. This is miraculous. This is supernatural. He went over the side of the boat and he walked on water toward Jesus. But listen here. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? I'll tell you why. Because he stopped looking at Jesus and he started looking at the wind and the waves. He got distracted. Listen, the wind and the waves were already there. It's not like it all of a sudden started happening. The Bible tells us they were caught up in a storm. There was already wind and waves and they see Jesus walking in the midst of the wind and waves. And he had enough faith, more than all the other disciples, to at least say, hey man, if it's really you, let me walk out towards you. And then he actually starts to do it until he saw the problem again. And suddenly this one in a million miracle that he now gets to participate where it now becomes two in a million ends because he took his eyes off the one who was empowering him and he put his eyes on the one who was threatening him. Listen, the one who empowers you is stronger than the one who threatens you. Greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. Why are you so focused 
on that? Why are you so fixated on what the enemy does when you already serve the one who wins the battle? We are not victims. The opposite scripture says we are more than victorious. You know what more than victorious means? We didn't just squeak out a win. We annihilated you. It was a blowout. We have massively defeated the enemy. So we got to walk on water like God called us to. What does that mean? Do the things God called you to while you follow Jesus. Fixate your eyes on him. Walk towards him. Stay towards him. And you won't even realize the miraculous things that God can do in your life. You got wayward loved ones? Walk toward Jesus. You got a habit you feel like you're never going to be able to break? Walk toward Jesus. You got sin in your life that you feel like you'll always have? Walk toward Jesus. If you keep your eyes and your feet in the direction of Jesus, you will continue on a path of miracles in your life. And then we won't be talking about you sinking and crying out to the Lord. We're talking about you walking straight to God and giving him a hug. Worship team, if you can help me out. Now here's what I have to make sure I communicate to you. Is that none of these distractions are evil in and of themselves. Money allows us to be generous and provide for our very basic needs. Social media and tech has made the world truly global and expanded our outreach. Serving is an honor that we have before the Lord. And we're meant to be in relationships. We are not called to be isolated and alone. And even problems can be used by God to grow and bless us. So, None of these are bad in and of themselves. Where they become a problem is when your eyes come off of God and focus on something else. That's where you start to get into danger. Part of this series started when I was reading this true story. It was about a a man in China, Chinese man in China, who was part of the underground church. Now, the underground church is uh, any people around the world who are part of the church of God in an area where it is dangerous or even illegal to be a Christian. And so they have to meet in secret. That's why it's called underground. And many of them, especially people in China, if they are discovered, it means a lot of horrible things physically to them, to their family members. And this man was part of an underground church that had got found out. He got captured. He was arrested. He was brutally beaten and tortured day after day in order to try to get him to confess the names of other people that were part of the underground church. On top of that, they kept trying to get him to renounce Christ. And for days they tortured him and for days they beat him and for days he held his ground. He would not uh, avoid or he would not divulge the names of anyone and he would not turn on Christ. Eventually he was released Eventually, he received asylum in the United States. And now when he gets to the United States, he realizes something incredibly profound. He goes, you could go to church every day. Like, I'm far from the underground church. We had to meet in secret. We had to be private. had to be covert. You get to go to church openly and worship God openly every day. So that's what he started to do. He literally would go to church every day. And every day he'd worship God, and every day, and it was the most amazing thing. But eventually, you know, he had to get a job, he had to provide, so he started a business, started working his business, started going a few days less, started going two, three times a day, business started growing, was getting blessed, started, you know, missing a few more days, started just kind of going to Sunday only. 
And then eventually he realized he could make a lot of money in his business if he started working on Sundays. And he eventually stopped going to church altogether. And the funny thing was, and one of the things that he said was, beating the threats of death on my life and on my family could not get me to turn away from Jesus. But the comforts of life did. See, a lot of us are like, I would never run out. I would give my life. God's not even saying all that. It doesn't take your life. It just takes a distraction. You're not that big. Listen, here's the truth. Might want to write this down. Whoever the devil can't destroy, he distracts. Whoever the devil can't destroy, he distracts. If I could just get your eye off the prize then you will be ineffective and you will already be his. Hebrews chapter 12, verse one through three. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. How do we do that? By keeping our eyes on Jesus the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. Would you stand with me, church, as we get ready to close? I want you to close your eyes for just a moment. The worship team is going to lead us in the song. I just want you to listen to the words. And as you're listening to the words, I want you to just, in your mind's eye, look to Jesus for a moment. Believers in this room, if you have a relationship with God, I want you to close your eyes for a moment. And I want you to turn to your Lord. And I just want you to allow yourself to dwell on him for just a moment. So turn.